Hey all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. My name is Darren, and today I have a couple great guests that have been on before, Lloyd Capuccio and Kevin Liddell. We're going to talk about seasoning, spices, and sauces. I'll be right back. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter, sous vide and chilling from Fire and Water. Hey all, it's Darren again, and I want to make sure you check out Fire & Water Cooking Edible Creations Gourmet Seasonings and Sauces, now available on Amazon, Walmart.com, Etsy, and even on our regular website at fireandwatercooking.com. Check them out, guys. All made with great gourmet ingredients, including domestically made Texas black garlic, aged up to 60 days. These are some very unique flavors. Check them out. Blueberry and black garlic, black garlic and coffee, all-purpose black garlic, and our triple B sauce, which has blueberry, black garlic, and balsamic vinegar. Check them out, guys. You won't be disappointed. Thanks for watching, and I'll be back. Hey, all. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I am Darren. I am your host, of course. And today, we are going to talk about seasonings and sauces and spices and all that and how they're important to cooking and i got a couple of friends of mine that have been on before i have mr lloyd capuccio and kevin liddell lloyd go ahead and introduce yourself tell the people who you are hey guys i'm lloyd capuccio i'm a transplant from uh, brooklyn new york i live in seattle washington been cooking for 45 years i guess i'm retired now and all i do now is lift weights and cook that's it I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a geek in food, okay? I'm a geeky food guy. Kosher dosher. You can Google me. Kosher dosher. I'm everywhere. All right. So now we have Kevin Liddell. Kevin, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell everybody who you are. Hi, I'm Kevin. Uh, I'm from Northern Central Pennsylvania. Uh, I've been cooking professionally for a long time, 20 plus, 25 plus years. Uh, and I've been into sous vide and other ideas of, you know, different newer cooking techniques and very interested in science of cooking, that sort of thing. What happens? Well, you are also a graduate of the CIA, are you not? I did do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't put that on your resume. You are. I, you I, for, I forgot. We, we've done a few podcasts before. I forget all the time. <laughs> the only one all right. There. So these guys are really heavy into food just like i am all kinds of different food you know not just barbecue and sous vide but we kind of touch on everything we we all kind of revolved around sous vide because it's such a cool uh, cooking process but um today i want to just talk about seasonings and spices and sauces and the way we you know uh actually handle our food when we're, when we're cooking it you know because you know the main protein and vegetables and stuff that we actually cook is a big part of it but then you know getting that extra flavor and and uh you know tickling our taste buds pretty much is really important as well so we always talk you know about cooking processes but we don't hardly ever talk about seasonings and spices and how they how important it is uh, the ones you use when you're cooking as well so i want to talk out today so first of all just a general overall you know seasonings I use separately than sauces because seasonings are more like your dry seasonings, like, you know, your herbs and spices and combinations. And then sauces are more used for finishing your, your meal. So are you finishing your, your food um, after it's cooked, but your seasonings and stuff are usually during cooking and can be after cooking as well. So what do you think are, how important do you think seasoning is in food as far as, um, how we actually look at it. Go ahead, Lloyd. It separates good food from bad food. If you don't season your food, I don't care what it looks like. It's going to taste like crap. The appropriate amount of salt, pepper, other seasonings, but salt is primarily the, the most important ingredient you can add to any dish. Without salt, it's going to taste like crap. Your palate will be able to recognize what you're eating. Yeah, I, I think we can all you know, agree that if I just cook a plain steak with nothing on it, with no seasoning whatsoever, it would be edible, but it probably wouldn't be as pleasurable. <laughs> you know, even if it was the best Wagyu steak, I mean, you know, even, you know, it would still be kind of, oh yeah, this is a Wagyu steak, but 
if you don't have something on there to enhance the flavors of the meat, because what seasonings do a lot of times, it's not just overpower the the flavor of the the protein or the or the vegetables it actually enhances the flavors correct well, it's neurological too because the salt your brain your palate how it all connects you can't have one without the other you can add on as many seasonings as you want but your brain and your tongue won't really taste them without the salt it, it won't kevin what do you think um i'm about 80% with you. There are some cuisines like uh, Indian cuisine can get away with pretty minimal salt because yes. uh, they have so many spices in it and such that you can really, you, you could, I'm sure. And I don't, I don't claim to have any really good experience with making Indian cuisine. I've done it off the cuff for some caterings and stuff, but it's not something that was really taught to me. And I've never really enveloped myself in it which I should change because it's really a wonderful cuisine. Um, but uh, I also worked one of the first restaurants I worked in actually was the first restaurant I worked in after I graduated from the Culinary Institute of America was on Nantucket and the chef didn't use salt on anything except mashed potatoes. So I made the mashed potatoes every day and that was the only thing that got salt. The rest of his steaks, I mean, everything he had, we had a few Jamaican workers there and they called it the magic spice. He wouldn't give out what the, you know, what it was and that sort of thing. And I'm not, so anyway, he claimed to not use salt on anything, but in the mashed potatoes. And we're talking, this was 19 or, you know, later 1990s. And the cheapest dish on the menu was a $37 chicken dish. All our steaks were prime grade, uh, everything and i i tried his stuff i with his what was you know the magic spice his rub and i really did not feel there was a need for salt from that do now salt to it? do you think he had a salt to it without telling you i i don't know i, I really couldn't tell you that's a guess well, you know i can tell you that you know i know salt is it's important and we're gonna we're gonna delve deep into salt down down the road here but seasoning in general though even if they're just using garlic powder and onion powder it's going to enhance the food that you're eating and like i said if you just cook a steak and you don't have anything on it it'll be edible but you're not going to get that wow factor it's not going to be memorable you know it's going to be kind of bland and you know you got to have some kind of you know seasoning on it even if it's you know mrs dash with no salt in it yeah <laughs> i know. think I, th <laughs> I think if you gave me a steak and, and like yeah mrs dash doesn't have any salt in it and there are a lot of relatively good salt alternatives i don't play around with them because i don't have an issue with salt yeah. msg um, is the salt alternative. well well i i you know if you if you were to give me some steaks and say hey we don't have any seasoning for you what are you going to do how to make these taste i'd char them really well because yeah. that would add a flavor but other than that, I agree. You want seasoning and salt is probably the most basic seasoning there is. So let's just go back into, you know, seasoning. So let's just say herbs and spices and salts and peppers and all that. You know, when we're cooking the food, we usually do that. We don't usually most of the times use any kind of sauces. If we're doing a marinade, maybe, um, but sauces we usually use as a, like a finishing. So like with barbecue, I usually don't even put any sauce on my barbecue I let, I use it as a condiment more like you would ketchup and mustard. You know, I, I have different kinds of sauces. So if I do ribs or pulled pork or brisket, even I have different sauces that people can use as a condiment more as finishing. I don't usually use it to cook in people will put sauces on, you know, when they're cooking stuff, but I tend to think that sauces are geared more towards like, you know, when you're sitting at the table ready to, you know, add something to it or like with a steak, uh, a finishing sauce, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, like Memphis has a wet rub and a dry rub, you know, wet and dry and, you know, and everyone has their own way. And, uh, I personally with my, I like, like when I do ribs, yeah, they're all delicious. Exactly. <laughs> I've never been like, I've never had barb. I don't think I've ever had barbecue that that's actually cooked like barbecue, uh, that I didn't like. Yeah. Most of those, you know, it's because of the barbecue, the commercial barbecue sauces, especially have liquid smoke in them. So that's why, you know, people will use it to cook it because it, it already, you don't have to put it in a smoker. So you can take a rack of ribs, put a commercial 
you know, barbecue sauce on it, cook it in the oven and it'll be smoky because the sauce has liquid smoke in it. I just wanted to overall touch that how important seasonings and sauces are to food. So I want to talk about the tastes that we have in, you know, um, in our mouths, you know, because that's what makes us crave different seasonings and, you know, makes us want to make better food is, you know, our tongue pretty much what it tastes like somewhat, you know, how we see it, you know, that, that has an effect, you know, on our brain, you know, you eat with your eyes, whatever, but it can look really good and still taste like crap. Yeah. The nose and the, and the mouth are really, you know, the big driving force and, you know, even, you know, seasonings and sauces, they do smell. So you can produce, you know, you got, you know, salt, pepper, garlic, when you're grill, griddling a steak, you can smell it. And it, it yes. makes you go, man, I want that. So well, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen real quick. Remember that uh, the sense of ours that's most directly, uh, sorry, connected to our memory is our sense, is all our olfactory sense, our sense yeah. of smell. Factory, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, I can still smell my mom making, you know, bread, homemade bread back when I was, you know, six yeah, years if, old. But, it, you know? but if you walk by, if you're if you're like not even thinking about your mom and your bread, and you are out in a mall somewhere, and you smell something that smells like your mom's bread, it immediately brings you back to your mom's bread. Yeah, exactly. As you know, like immediately without you having to think about it, you're like, oh my gosh, what was that? As opposed to like seeing a kid riding a bike you had when you were a kid and be like what is that no that kid what what no. you know immediately with the factory that that's yeah. what it is so i just wanted to touch on so you know for years and years um until uh 20 or 30 years ago we used to think we only had four uh tastes on our tongue so we had bitter salty sour and sweet is what you know the main parts of the tongue you know, different parts of the tongue have different, you know, tastes is what, um, you know, the map of the tongue and all that. And uh, now we understand that there's actually a fifth and it's called umami. And that's mostly characterized as savory. So it's a little bit of, it's not really the same as any of the others. So sweet, we all know would be like, a, you know, sugar or, you know, fruits or, and stuff like that, sour and and a lot of these, you know, I, I've done some reading up on, you know, why, what the science is on it, you know, why we have these. And, you know, some of them like bitter and sour are more of a protective measure. Survival. It's a survival yeah. instinct. Because if it's bitter, you know, it's, it could hurt you. So you don't, you know, you spit it out, <laughs> you know, so it could be a poison. So uh, sour the same way that maybe the food's not, you know, good, you know, or, uh, you know, it could be bad, you know. Uh, turn bad um salty is you know we crave salt we need salt so you know we desire salt so that's why we have the salty and the umami they found out it's you know based on the glutamates and it's more of so that we know we're eating good proteins so that's kind of how they discovered why we have that taste in our mouth and how why what it what it actually is so it's not just you know, it's, it's a savory taste that's desirable. It's, it's more of, you know, something that we actually need in our bodies. And just like with the salt, uh, why we crave salt, you know, it's something that our body needs and survives on. So, you know, a lot of people, you hear about umami and a lot of people don't really understand what it is. And so Lloyd, I know you've done a lot of studying on umami. Oh, yeah. So go ahead and I'll let you kind of run with this a little bit and so, tell us your experience on umami. People consider umami like, okay, you've added MSG to your food. Get closer to your microphone or speak up. Oh, I can't hear you. My dog is right here. I'm giving my dog some loving. <clears throat> so MSG, body, let's see, monosodium glutamate, right? It's a chemical. But you can get the same thing by using mushrooms, a lot of glutamates and mushrooms, of course, anchovies, fish sauce, fish salt, right? It does something on the chemical level where it actually increases the, the taste of proteins. So if you were to add, for example, fish sauce, fish salt, mushroom powder to your proteins, it will increase the flavor of that particular protein. And I, I coined using fish salt in my beef. 
And most of you guys that are listening have probably made hamburgers or stews before. And a recipe, or rather an ingredient they suggest using is always a Worcestershire, if I'm pronouncing it right, Worcestershire sauce, right? Why do people add Worcestershire sauce to their burgers and their stews? It's got anchovies in it, which has got glutamates in it, and it increases the glutamates in the food that we're eating. Now, I use fish sauce in my stews instead of Worcestershire sauce, because it has a higher percentage of anchovies in it. But that's the glutamates you're tasting. It's the umami. It's the is that savory uh, characteristic of beef you want to taste. So you want to increase beef flavor and glutamates. They can be in mushrooms, fish sauce, fish salt, and to a lesser degree, Worcestershire sauce. But I love glutamates. Yeah. And I'm going to touch on it just a little bit because it's still out there. And I, one of the reasons, you know, I, I just created my own seasonings uh, in, in sauce and, you know, my original recipe had MSG in it, but there's still people out there that swear up and down that they have reactions to MSG, even though there's no scientific evidence that that's ever happened to anybody. And they don't understand that there's MSG in everything. And like you yep. said, it's, it's, you know, the glutamates that's in, you know, I swear there's people every day that will swear up and down. Oh, okay. I get migraines. Tomato. I get this. but you know you just there's some there's some things that will never die like beer can chicken or you know or using a you know mustard as a as a slather on on a pork butt (laughs) you know some people just they don't look at the science they just you know oh my grand i heard my grandma talking about msg and how bad it is and there's no scientific (laughs) evidence that it is so well i i did my uh I did a scientific paper when I was at CIA uh, and I was in contact with the Monell research center in Philadelphia. Who's pretty big on, this is all what pretty much what they do is a sensor. They're a sensory research center and big time. And I talked to a bunch of people there, went back and forth. And my, the topic of my paper was, is MSG actually bad for you or not? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, But from all the stuff that, I was able to see the only damage I was able to find through a scientific paper that MSG caused to a human was when they directly injected an MSG water saline solution into straight into a nerve. So if you took some Coca-Cola and injected it straight into a nerve, you're going to do a lot more damage than just a saline MSG solution. Um, So that was the only damage I was able to find. And I did it with the, my uh, chef, who Bob Del Grosso, who was just, he's just a genius. And when I told him I was doing that, he was so excited. And, and I did a pretty good paper on it. And he, you know, it came down. I said, Can you find any relevance to someone ingesting it orally to having any damage? I said, No, absolutely no way in any way, shape, or form. And I've told, and I told, I, I have had uh, Chinese restaurant syndrome once in my life where I got lightheaded headache, weird sort of stuff. And I didn't, it's, it's mostly from sulfites and different things in Chinese kitchen. I've never worked in a Chinese kitchen, uh, but I know it's not the MSG and I've had people, you know, I worked with someone whose father would come in every time he had to eat and he'd have to go into the walk-in and check the dressings on MSG. And I kept talking to her about how, you know, this MSG thing is all bull crap. And she would go on and on and on. She went to medical school and I kept up with her. I'm like, have you found anything on MSG being harmful? She's like, no. I'm like, yeah, your dad's <laughs> full of crap. So MSG has its limits. It's not going to make, uh, if you sprinkle it on your salad, it's not going to make a difference. Try, you know, I would recommend anyone who thinks MSG, try a just dip your finger in it and taste it. It doesn't taste like much at all. It's not salty and it doesn't. And, and there's a point to how much you can add MSG to something to make it better. Whereas salt. So, so if you add MSG a certain amount to say something, whatever you're cooking, a stew, a stew, a stew and then you add another hundred percent of what you just added. It doesn't make it taste any better. It doesn't make it taste more MSG or it doesn't do anything, but, but, it, but if you, do that with salt and then you add another hundred percent of the salt. Now it's everything's twice as salty. So salt's different. So MSG, which contains a third sodium of table salt 
doesn't necessarily create better flavors the more you add. So it's very sparing. We use it very sparingly and, you know, maybe try a little bit and then try a little later. And once it's like right there, you don't want to, you know, you're, it's, just, it's a waste of time to add any more. Yeah. And that's another thing. When I was making my seasonings, I had very little in it, but just because it's on the label, people freak out and they don't even realize there's not a lot in it. It's not really going to affect you at all. And they're more worried about that than the nitrates in like pastrami and corned beef, which have more of an effect on you than anything. I can eat, you know, if you sit there and eat two tablespoons of regular table salt, you'll get sick. Believe me. And people eat salt all the time. If you can, if you, (laughs) If you can get two tablespoons of table salt down your throat, you'll be dead. <laughs> if you can keep it down, because you'll throw yeah, up. You, will. You, you won't be able to keep it down. <laughs> when I was when I was a kid, I you know we went on a field trip in, in school. I was, I was probably in like third grade, and I had those little remember the little boxes, the little pretzel sticks you used to get. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I had a couple of those, man. I would get all the salt out of the bottom and I get all get all the salt and just eat all the salt that was in the bottom of the box. I got so, so sick. So let's just talk about salt and pepper. Why salt and right. pepper? They're they're our main staples, right? <clears throat> My wife, you know, her her uh mom, I think that's the only seasoning she ever used was salt and pepper on anything. And then that was sparingly, so she didn't understand seasonings at all but uh, salt and pepper is the only things we usually keep on our table right when when we get the food in front of oh. us and it's already been oh. seasoned when oh, don't be quiet just perfect. let me finish Slide perfect Doesn't <laughs> so, so you know most of us have salt and pepper on the table so we get a plate of food you know even after it's been seasoned when we cook it you know we can put a little bit more salt and pepper on it so let's talk a little bit about that why are those two flavors you know the most popular Oh, it all has to do with the spice roots, the hundreds and hundreds, thousands, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I'm not going to say thousands and thousands, but close. I mean, the spice roots created, I mean, Christopher Columbus took off to go find pepper. I mean, that's why he came to the Americas yeah. was to find pepper. So um, with salt, though, you know what we that's one of our tastes and our, our tongue and our body craves it. But pepper where does that fall on the on our taste profile on our tongues? Is it a little bit of the bitter, a little bit of the oh, is there's definitely some bitter. There's yeah, I mean it it encompasses a lot of flavors. So um, it kind of hits on a lot a lot of the different parts of our tongue, not just one. But different types of peppers have different types of qualities as well. Black pepper is more fruity. Black pepper is more yeah. fruity. White yeah. pepper is but, more um white pepper is a, is a little spicier, I guess, a little, little hotter. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it white pepper is the exclusion of the outer coating. Yeah, but it's also it's ripened longer. I believe the white pepper is ripened longer than the black pepper. Black okay. pepper, I believe. You can look I would, it up. Well, that would make sense. Yeah, you can look mm-hmm. it up. I, I I'm sure I knew this at one point, but it was twenty and plus years ago. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I believe the red pepper is is it's an entirely different fruit. It's, it's it? not a. It's not the same. It's not it's the not, same. Yeah, but it tastes yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like them. Szechuan uh, peppercorns. Szechuan peppercorns. That's well, a prickly. That's a prickly ash bud. It's not even related to real pepper. True black, like what we're in, what we think of as pepper. Right. Good though. Ooh. All right. So let's talk a little bit more. Let's let's dive a little deeper into salt. We touched on it a little bit here and there, but I want to talk about why salt is is different than any other seasoning. It's different than garlic and onion and basil and herbs and all that even pepper because of its chemical uh reaction and what it can do and and our bodies actually need it so well, i want to talk a little bit about brining and and uh and all that and you know uh curing to some extent but more of what makes salt so different and how it reacts to proteins uh Ooh when we use it for for that when we use it for brining and stuff like that so because it's not just a seasoning it's not just a spice it is something that actually you know the only thing that will actually penetrate deep into a protein well we can use it to denature proteins to Thank begin you. with which which will help with preservation in the long term um yeah um one of the biggest, you know, things that you guys know on the Facebook groups and the cooking groups, and especially from people who really don't have an understanding of how, you know, science works with cooking, they just, they don't understand that 
cooking has got a lot of science built into it and we use so much of it in the cooking is when they use a brine or they use a cure or what have you and they put all these other flavors in it they really think that the meat sucks it up like a sponge but we know that you know it's more of diffusion a chemical reaction that the salt has where the salt actually penetrates but all the other stuff just kind of hangs out around it on the outside and well, you know i had a conversation yesterday with somebody on it's on one of the facebook groups and they swear up and down the orange flavor that they put in that brine goes deep into the meat and maybe um, an eighth of an inch over a couple of weeks not much yeah and they they think that because it dissolves in the water and the water they think the water is getting sucked up into like a sponge which um is totally not the way that works but well people will uh, fight you up and down <laughs> a brine a brine by definition is basically salt and water mm -hmm. um now so when you're talking about a dry brine brine uh you're getting water introduced so water's going to come out of the meat when you dry brine something and then it's going to the salt and the water are going to go back into the meat. Uh, same thing happens with wet brining. Now I've always done art. I've had a few conversations that have gotten pretty heavy and hard on no. with Lloyd about, about how, <laughs> you know, the difference between dry brining and wet brining and all that. Um, but when you're brining with just salt and, and to it, a certain extent sugar you're getting diffusion and osmotic reactions uh so you know osmosis deals diffusion. with water diffusion well it's both um i mean i don't know if i don't know if more salt is actually drawn into the muscle than more water is i would agree i would actually guess that more water is taken in but i don't i don't know that for a fact and i've talked to lloyd about different things i tend to do dry brines on like uh, red meats, you know, mostly, you know, a lot of steaks, that sort of thing. Uh, wet brine I've always done on uh, chicken, turkey, uh, sometimes pork. Uh, but but you you can take it to a point, and I've played around with this, where, you know, if I do a wet brine on a chicken breast for 24 hours, I can take that out and cook it up on a grill or something. People are like, wow, this is really moist. This is really good. If I let it go for six days, all of a sudden it takes on the characteristics of like the kind of chicken roll sort of thing you'd get at your deli at the grocery market. You know, it just has that sort of weird texture. It has a processed weird texture, even though it wasn't processed. It was just in a brine. One of the, one of the places I usually go to is, of course, Dr. Blonder. And, you know, he's... You uh, meathead on amazingribs.com also does a lot of his stuff. So he's done, he's a big food scientist and he's done a lot of studies on that stuff. So I usually point people to those articles on amazing ribs because it's kind of put into, you know, there's a lot of science that goes into it. And he put a lot of effort into showing people why things work. And I've always been that way in my cooking processes. And that's why I love CV. I, I want to know why things work the way they work and the hows and the whys, you know, Dr. Not Blonder, just... Dr. Blonder knows his stuff. He's definitely yeah. a good source. So, I mean, he's done a lot of good stuff and he does these things. And that's why I, I just kind of went to his site because he actually does the experiments and shows you the difference and what diffusion is. And one of the things that I'm, I'm really, you know, one of the things, you know, with salt, if you put too much salt on your steak, it gets overly salty and you can go, oh, man, I can't even eat it. But if you cook something in salt, it doesn't diffuse more salt into it. It only takes a, a, up a, a certain amount of salt. So if you and you see people cook, you know, roasts in caked in salt, you know, and yeah, for or hours fish. And it comes out. Yeah. Or fish or what have you. But it doesn't, you know, fill up the cells with just salt. You know, so but, but if you left that roast or that fish for five days, it would, depending on the size. You know, obviously, it would equalize with the amount of salt that you've used. It would, but it migrates very slowly. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's you know, like I forget exactly what it, I remember reading it on Meathead's uh, site. I think it was like quarter inch every quarter day. Inch per day. I don't want to keep going into down in rabbit holes. I knew we would, but <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about creating different 
flavor profiles by using all the different spices because I don't want to just harp on salt and and that you know because there are you know an all-purpose seasoning like I just said is you know one of the most popular is salt pepper and garlic right darn what's that crap behind you that's all my seasonings (laughs) (laughs) so you know so that you know if you take a salt pepper and garlic you know uh that's one of the most popular if you go to any of the the spice aisle or even in, in the barbecue stores they're all purpose rub. Everybody's got their own blend of all purpose and they're all salt, pepper, and garlic. So those are the three tastes that I guess, like, especially for beef and chicken and pork are what really enhance. So I guess those three spices or seasonings together produce some kind of umami that we all kind of like, right? (laughs) I don't see that happening. I think they taste good, but I don't think they're creating umami. Well, they're creating something in our in our mouth that they're hitting all you know a few of the points of our tongue. Yeah, but lemonade tastes great, and you, there's no umami in lemonade. I think well, Kevin would agree. That, that's you, totally you different. Just say savory, a savory type flavor that the salt on its own doesn't have, or pepper on its own doesn't have. When you combine those three seasonings into one on your meat it, it creates a different flavor in your mouth correct can we agree to that like, yeah yeah <laughs> you taste yeah garlic onion and rosemary so you're not tasting them separately you you're there. tasting them no. together as yes. as something totally different and new that's kind of yes. what i'm getting at. it's when you combine you know these different seasonings you can combine basil and rosemary and thyme you know it, it creates a whole different herbs to, herbs to Provence is the perfect example. Yeah. yeah. Herbs to Provence can actually, a, a good herbs to Provence mix can really take a, a bunch of different types of things up quite a high notch. I mean, it's, it's probably my favorite mixed seasoning is herbs to Provence. Where, yeah. where do you think adding, you know, a lot of different spices gets too muddled? Cause I I've had that where, if you would just put too many different spices in, they kind of all maybe negate each other and it just tastes like a muddled mess. Where do you think that comes into play? I think it comes into play in American cuisine. And that's about it. Yeah. If you think about Chinese food and Indian food, and Thai food and Vietnamese food. Now, Vietnamese actually gets pretty basic. Sorry, I shouldn't have included them in there because it's kind of a, they do, you know, they don't go real heavy, but like in India, I mean, you, you, you know, there might be 35 things that go into this, this meal that you're making. And there, there are many cultures that are like that. Um, we tend to get stuck in certain types of herbs and spices to get muddied and they're not as strong. Uh, and we are often using, you know, a lot. It, I don't know. It, I only Indian run into that here. Indian cooking, Indian cooking, they use a plethora of, of spices. Indian food <laughs> has a, they use a lot of spices and herbs. They use a lot. You, know, you think? Have, well, yeah, I do. I, do, I know so. <laughs> they, 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 they end up using eight or nine different flavors in one, one rub, but the, it doesn't get muddied at all. In the American oh. cuisine, like Kevin said, oh, man, people do. You ever watch the, the show? You know, bar um, was it um, uh, dives? Um, was it uh, yeah. bars, dives, and whatever the hell? Diners, it's yeah. Diners, Diners, and, and dives. Yeah, all these rubs they use. They have like fifteen ingredients inside one rub. You know, and I think that's kind of overkill. But sometimes they yeah. work. I mean, yeah. you know, sometimes they do, and then sometimes you see people use different mixtures, and you go, "Why? Why add that?" ingredient in there because it's totally different from the others sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't but you know and it takes experimentation i guess um a lot but i find you know sometimes the simple is better but then sometimes you know there's something that you may use something totally different that you're not really used to um like like you were saying you know some of the indian spices you know probably 90% of the you know people in America don't have those in their cabinet, you yeah. know, uh, cardamom, you know, who, 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 who would, yeah. who would use cardamom and, you know, 
they don't even know what it is half the time, but that's really, or what to do with it. Yeah, (laughs) and exactly. So that's one of the things, you know, and one of the books that I, I looked at was the flavor Bible. Me and Lloyd were actually talking about this earlier and it's a good uh, book. So yeah, the flavor Bible is a really good one where it takes you pretty much breaks down what seasonings and spices go well together and, and, and different cuisines. I mean, it's a really, I have it too here, Lloyd. So it's a really thick book and it's, it's good. I mean, you could go down a big rabbit hole with this for sure. I have Um, it somewhere, but I can't remember where I put it, (laughs) but you know, you can go on Amazon and look at it and you can do the little preview and it kind of goes over what they talk about. And they, they did a lot of research, you know, did a lot of, had a lot of chefs, you know, involved. And they actually talk about, you know, texture and mouthfeel and aroma as well. So it's not just about, you know, tasting in in their mouth. Yeah. So it's the overall, but it's a really good book to, um, if you got time to, to go down the rabbit hole, a lot of people don't want to, they just want to just give me something, you know, that's why I sell, you know, the rubs. They just want well, to yeah, I mean, together for you know, I mean, <laughs> so, you might as, it's a lot easier. And I yeah. mean, not being a culinary professional, I would uh, probably just be ordering your rubs instead of, you know, yeah. reading, reading on encyclopedia on flavor and what to do and how to do it. And then being like, how do I wait? What a minute. I just read 400 pages. I don't know what to do. Well, and I, and I, I'll, order, I'll, I'll order Darren's spices. Well, for the, for, you know, a lot of years, I would, um, I would order somebody's seasoning or rub and just see how it, I liked it. And then I would try to replicate it or put my own spin to it. So, but you know, a book like that actually gives you some knowledge on why certain seasonings and spices work well with each other and, and, and how they interact with each other, which I think a lot of people, once they get into it, if you're really into cooking, it's a really good book. And, and there's another one called the flavor matrix that uh, chef yeah. uh, James Briscoe put together that actually Done. breaks it down into like a wheel of uh, the different uh, flavors and your, you know, tastes and all that. And it's a pretty complicated. I don't have that particular book. I know that it's on Amazon too. The I, I've heard he matrix. does a really, I've heard he really did a good job with that. I don't have it either, but he's down in Pensacola and uh, it's interesting to follow him. But yeah, so there's a lot of, you know, information out there and on how the different seasonings can work well together. And like I said, it, you can go down that rabbit hole. Like you said, Kevin, there's, you know, you go from basic to 42 different, you know, spices in a, in a seasoning rub and it doesn't come out muddled. You can put, 10 different seasonings in something and it comes out muddled, you know, it's because you're using the wrong seasonings together, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I really get into, you know, playing around with them, the different spices and seasonings and, and trying to create something new. That's why I did with the, the blueberry and black garlic seasoning that I came out with. I just didn't see anything out there like that. You know, I played around with it because I had a freeze dryer. I freeze dried a bunch of blueberries and I said, what should I do with it? Let's see if I can make a seasoning out of it. And well, what would go good? And I got a savory and sweet with the blueberry and black garlic. And it works well on ribs and pork, man. It just creates a great bark. You know, it does a lot of the things that I, everybody looks forward to in a, a good barbecue rub, but it's not cheap. And it's the, the ingredients aren't just salt and sugar and, you know, paprika you know which a lot of those i i think you gave a lot of good thought to that because there's nothing else out there like there you're filling a niche yeah and it doesn't get muddled it actually you know it's got the salt it's got the salt in it you know it's got the sweet and it's got the savory it's got a little bit of everything i used one i used one of your rubs one of your rubs the other night i don't know if i sent you a picture i'll send you one if i didn't but yeah it worked great um it was, it was the, it had some coffee in it that you could smell the coffee in the beginning, oh, but yeah, then the it, black garlic but, and coffee. Yeah. yeah. That one. And then that was, but the coffee was, so when you smelled it originally, that was the predominant smell and what I figured would be the predominant flavor, but it took, it went to the back and was just subtle after cooking with it. Yeah. I've played around with, with coffee rubs for years now, and I've used it without black garlic. I've used it with regular garlic and other things. 
And what I've found is with coffee, if you have coffee and pepper in a rub, they actually enhance each other and they actually change the flavor of each other. So the coffee really doesn't taste like coffee anymore. You smell it, like you said, and the pepper kind of mellows out. And then now you throw in that black garlic and you get that effect like um, hardcore carnivore black, you know, the where they have activated charcoal to just to make, bring the color. You know, activated yeah. charcoal has no flavor at all. And Jess Pryles will tell you, I had her on my podcast. She said, that doesn't add any flavor. It's just for color. It's color, yeah. But so I decided I wanted to make something that had the dark black color, but also provided flavor. So when I was playing around with black garlic, and I said, well, I like the coffee and pepper and salt and garlic rub that I make. What if I use black garlic? And it just all came together and it just fit so well. The garlic, you know, I put a little bit of regular garlic, but I also, the black garlic is more mellow than regular garlic and the coffee and the black pepper and the salt. It it just plays really well. I mean, that's every time I cook that for somebody on a steak, they just like, they're blown away by it. I think everybody, you know, even um, people I've, you know, when I started giving out that to people, they're like, man, this is like my favorite rub on steak or roast. (laughs) So it costs me actually charcoal is cheap like oh yeah yeah very very expensive exactly and that's like i said you know i I didn't want to put out something that was cheap i'm not really looking to make a ton of money on my stuff and you know it's more of i'm creating something different even though it may cost a little bit more it's going to be different than what everybody else has on the market and it's going to provide a better flavor you know that's what i wanted to create so um Mm. And that's why, you know, I like black garlic a lot, but it's expensive and nobody else has the, um, you know, they're just too scared to use it because of it's limited and where you can get it. It costs a lot more than regular garlic. And most of the stuff that's out there on the shelves, it's all cheap ingredients. It's sugar, it's salt, it's, you know, paprika, it's, you know, it costs a dollar fifty for them to make it and they'll sell it to you for eight bucks. So I, like I said, you know, you guys know, I got all these seasonings behind me here and I've I thought just, you became a librarian. The, uh, you know, I've learned a lot just in, um, uh, just in doing this myself, all what goes into it. So you really can't just make up a whole bunch of seasonings in your kitchen and, and turn around and sell them. You can, but you got to do it a certain way and it's very hard to do it in volume. You know, you wouldn't I kind of started money. out making out some and, and selling some to people that I knew and on the Facebook group, just to kind of see how it would go over but once you get into the the actual process i mean it can get kind of uh, there's a lot of things that go into it seasonings are a lot easier you know because they're all dry ingredients there's not a lot of you know the fda doesn't get involved too much in it as long as you have a uh you know health inspector comes and make sure there's no bugs and everything is kind well, of you know, professionally there yeah oh yeah everything's done professionally and everything's you know every the labeling's all done correctly i mean the labeling is the biggest thing when you're doing seasonings and making sure that that's done because you know as long as you got a you know your health inspector kitchen and everything else you, you they're okay as long as everything is what's supposed to be when you get into sauces now you're talking a lot different uh because you're talking shelf stability of liquids and, and stuff is a lot different. The FDA really puts their hand on it. And um, so I got a sauce that, um, you know, I'm producing here too. And I have a different co-packer because usually only the real big ones will do both a sauce or a seasoning. But when you get into smaller producers, they only do one or the other because like I said, seasonings are easier, but sauces, you don't really want to, have a, a facility that has both in one facility you need like two separate areas so you need to have a really big warehouse to have two separate areas or you just do one so a lot of the ones like this i'm doing a separate co-packer for my sauce but a lot goes into this that you know they have to heat it up for six minutes 180 degrees so they can you know bottle it just right and, the ph is got to be below 4.6 to bottle like that well, really, it's got to be like around a 3.5. 3.2 or 3, yeah, 3.5. 3.5 yeah. is what the FDA says. It has to be at 3.5. 4.6 is the botulism minimum. Yeah, 4.6 is, 4. 6 is, 6 is honey. You can do it at honey is where 4.6 falls in. But 
what on a bottle sauce they needed to be around 3.5 that's what they're, they they're, want they're super conservative 4.6 yeah. is all you need so it's the it's the it's the fda it's right. like pasteurization they, they yeah. overkill and overkill and well, i remember a little bit I, I talked to a co-packer that does you know infused honeys and that's where they get a little crazy because honey on its own is pretty they're okay with but when you start adding stuff to it um it changes the whole structure and they got to make then then they want the the, the ph level to go down because you can sell a just like a regular processed honey at like 4.2 and they're fine with it but you start adding you know chili powder and you know stuff to it um like that's like with mike's hot honey they add uh vinegar to it because it lowers the ph that gets that ph down to that 3.5 level and then they uh then they're okay I, I think you I, don't want to heat honey <laughs> i think i remember talking to you darren about how when i was cooking on nantucket uh the chef i worked for the chef owner developed we we developed uh cranberry barbecue sauce because at that point i think nantucket still had the largest cranberry bog in the world um but it cost him i think eighteen thousand dollars to do a shelf stability test back oh. in the in the 90s it was just for uh you know and i don't know what el- what uh, what else it had to go under but it was damn expensive the shelf stability testing and i think you know i don't know the whole process i was never in the factory or what they were doing the lab but it's i'm sure they heated up cool it down but, um, yeah it's a lot one- cheaper now I just got mine last week, my approval and what they do, they send it off to, uh, I think they send it off to university of North Carolina to their lab and they do the testing and that's pretty much, they just do the, the pH testing on it. Oh, okay. They just, they run it through some tests. And, um, so now, you know, I paid, I think I paid like, uh, $500 or something was my initial test out the recipe test out and do the, and that included the pH testing in the final. And then, you know, so $500 up front just to get the recipe processed, get it tested, and then, you know, separate for getting the volume done. So, but, um, but up front it's 500 bucks and they'll go through all the gyrations to up to three uh, test batches to make sure it right. And I had to do three because the first one they sent me didn't look anything like the one I made. <laughs> <laughs> they do heat heat and cooling and all that yeah um yep. the one i the one i use they don't do any cold stuff so they don't do like a mayonnaise based sauce so i'm I'm looking at another co-packer that can do both because that's another thing too you got to look at because some of these places they can only do certain types of sauces so the one i used they mostly do hot sauces and all their sauces are cooked up to 180 degrees for at least six minutes you can't do that with a mayonnaise based sauce or a dressing so because it separates it and yeah um, well freezing it separates as well so you know so it's different you know so like even making like an italian dressing or you know a creamy type dressing they can't do those at that facility because they don't have the uh process in place to do it so yeah but yeah i just i learned a lot about how things have to be done and you don't really think about it when you're just doing it at your house or when you're buying at the store all the things that go into um getting this stuff put together so you can actually put it on a shelf and sell it but uh, well, i'm sure they have to put a hassle plan hassle plan through oh yeah yeah they're those those both of the, those type of facilities or even just the regular seasoning they have hassle plans in place and but they keep but a lot of their they keep a lot of their ingredients in in walk-in refrigerators too so so i think it's worth worth spending the money just to avoid having to do your own asset plan, which will probably be turned down 15 times. You know, you save money doing that, having a pro do it. Oh yeah. Well, for me, there was no actual way I could actually make my own seasonings, you know, starting from scratch, you you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars just to, you know, purchase a factory. Oh, to set everything up. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, a lot of these places, like the one I used for the seasonings, he, has his own line of seasonings but he you know his main business is doing it for other people he's got you know barbecue chefs that you know just do competitions and he makes you know just enough you know to provide them you know he'll do 100 cases and that's they just use it and sell it at their barbecue shows and stuff so but 
you know, so there's, there's a lot of, um, but there's, like I said, there's a lot that goes into it, but you know, it's, it's interesting to me how, um, how, how it can be done. Like I said, you know, I never thought two years ago that I'd be sitting there with in the sauce and rub (laughs) business. Yeah. And just trying to get it up and running, but you know know what, Darren, nobody else did either. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, uh, but it's fun. And I like this kind of stuff, you know, we're, we're the kind of guys that we like to play around with stuff. And if you're like, you know, you like to do that kind of stuff. So like I said, I tried to create something that I saw there was nothing on the market in like it just being different and it tastes good. So well, you enjoy but, it. You enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. He loves it. So. Yeah. Uh, and that's why it's here. I'm not going to sell. I'm going to keep it all for myself. <laughs> <laughs> My wife wouldn't let me. So. Yeah. So she, I wouldn't let, she wouldn't let you stay or let the spices. Yeah. Stay? She, 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 she the let spices. them stay. She'd sell them out after me. That's for sure. Yeah. Gary, get out. Keep, I'm keeping the spices. Exactly. So Lloyd, you, you created some of your own seasonings. You actually sent me some of your umami seasoning yeah. uh, a couple of years back. So I know you like to play around with yourself. Have you ever thought of producing your own and putting the, the kosher dosher label on a. I have, but it's too much work. It would take away my joy of just cooking. So I've yeah. done my own spices, of course, and I've actually taken mushrooms and dehydrated them down to the point where it was a powder. So I actually went the old fashioned route where I dehydrated everything and, and made my own rubs and stuff, but it's too much work. I just do it for fun. I would, it's too much work. What you're doing, Darren is work to me. I want to thank you guys for joining me tonight. And I, we could probably sit here all night and talk about seasonings and, and all this stuff and, and cooking because we're food geeks, but well, I want to thank you guys. And we'll probably do this again in a, in another month and talk about another topic. We'll probably figure it out, but Thanks for watching, guys. Thanks for uh, checking out the podcast. Check out the Kosher Dosher. Um, just do a Google search on on uh, Google for Kosher Dosher. You'll get his blog. Follow him on Facebook. You can also, if you're in the Facebook groups, um, a lot of the sous vide Facebook groups and even my Facebook groups, Fire and Water Cooking. Lloyd is always in there, and so is Kevin. Kevin, thanks again for being here. Kevin, sous vide Food and Fun Facebook group as well. But um, thanks, guys. Uh, as always, it's been a pleasure. And thank you for spending the time. And thank you all for watching and, and following the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. Take care. All right. I'm gonna... Thanks again for joining us, guys. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Check out the Fire and Water Cooking Edible Creation Seasonings on Amazon, Walmart, and our website. I'll see you again on the next one. Thanks for joining